everybody, welcome back. You are listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. You all know him, that's right, he's Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich. And we wish everyone a Merry Christmas in episode 205 today to December 26, 2020. It's going to be the last time, actually, I get to say 2020 in that voice like uh, Barbara Walters because uh, I think the next episode we're going to be officially into 2021. But I also wanted to welcome back our good old friend Brad, who has been joining us for this particular episode which we are going to get into right away. The topic of the day is our favorite games of 2020. I just, I had to say it one more last time. This is fantastic. (laughs) But uh, Brad, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Russ. I appreciate you having me. I'm always uh, curious at this time of year to find out what your current Xbox gamer score is because we did this last year and I believe... I think you said it was somewhere like around 238,000. Is that right? You know, Russ, I had breakfast about an hour ago. (laughs) And I can't remember what I had for breakfast an hour ago. I have no idea what I was a year ago at this point. It's amazing to me, though. That sounds high because right now I'm only at 225. Um, oh, maybe you just broke so, 200 or something because you had uh, set a goal for yourself last year. Remember that? That that was two years ago. My goal was 200 and I, I hit it right at the end of the year. Um, last year, end of 2019, probably around 215. I didn't put a ton on this year because frankly, there weren't a lot of new Xbox games to play in 2020. Um, yeah. So it was, uh, you know, hitting some old stuff uh, and then spending a lot of time on other consoles as we'll jump in here. But uh, up till the end of the year, man, there just wasn't a whole lot of Microsoft love in in my uh, in my game room here. Well, even in the previous years, though, I think it's pretty it's particularly impressive that you were like, for instance, that one year that you made it a goal to reach 200,000 with your gamer score. You were not, if I remember correctly, exclusively playing only Xbox titles that year, you were still playing games for the switch and for the PS4. And I don't know if you, if you were playing any PC titles or not, but you were, you were still churning out the titles. It's cool, Russ. You can call me a console whore. That's fine. Um, (laughs) So yeah, I absolutely bounce between all of the different uh, systems. I've never been, I've never been exclusive. Uh, As a a fellow gaming whore. Exactly. <laughs> I, I've got. I've got to tell you that that's that's where the respect come in comes in, Bradley. Is I'm like, how does he do it? How? <laughs> well, at the time, it really helped that I had a job that I could get done in about twenty five or thirty hours a week, so I had a ton of time to play video games. But uh, that isn't necessarily my life right now. But that's okay. Uh, but no, finishing out twenty twenty, I am sitting at about two hundred and twenty five thousand gamer score. I'll probably put a few more points on between now and uh, and New Year's, still spending some time on Valhalla. But uh, yeah, that's where I'm going to finish out the year. Fantastic. Well, Steve, normally I would say what, what's new with you, but we're going to jump right in <laughs> exactly. because there's a lot of stuff to uh, to go through, <laughs> which I am, I for one, I'm looking forward to this. This, this, this type of episode at the end of, of each year is special to me because it's one of the few episodes where we just geek out over the stuff we have already experienced and played. It's a, it's a reflection point where normally in, in this 
program, we tend to talk about bleeding edge stuff that's either coming out soon or has just been released. So it's, it's nice to be able to take a moment and look back. But what we're going to do is we have each selected our top five games of 2020. We're going to make our way starting with number five, going doing the whole round robin thing. So Bradley, since he is our special guest, he will go first, followed by Steve, and then I will uh, finish it. And we'll just go from number five all the way up to what our number one favorite title of 2020 is. And uh, during that time, it's going to be great to be able to have a brief description of why said game for every number got selected. So Bradley, please, what is your number five pick? So my number five pick for the year on favorite games is a switch title, animal crossing, new horizon. So that, oh. uh, that took my five spot. So I think that's the only game I'm going to have on my list that uh, that Russ has touched. And Steve, like I mentioned pre-show, I don't think I'm going to have a single title that you've played, but maybe you'll Fantastic. So um, <laughs> Animal Crossing, it was, you know, Nintendo didn't do anything crazy with it. They just made another Animal Crossing game. Came out in mid-March, which was perfect timing because this was a perfect pandemic title. Yeah. It was uh, it hit at the right time, you know, kind of a, a brainless while we were all on our first lockdown, sitting at home, building out my village and uh, having a good time with it. My kids were playing it. I had a couple other friends playing it. So just a good social experience going and visiting other people's islands and, you know, doing the daily tasks and building it out, building something out that wasn't infected with COVID. So it, uh, <laughs> it hit at the right time. Um, casual game, but uh, I probably put close to 100 hours in on it throughout the course of the year. So it came in as my number five favorite game of the year. I, I have to say that was almost my number five pick. And I think that you were spot on in that that title could not have been released at a better time just because there was so much that uh, the world was dealing with um, and uh, you know the the, the negativity uh, a lot of the psychological <clears throat> excuse me psychological ramifications uh, that people have been wrestling with and I don't know like it, it was such a breath of fresh air to be able to play a game that it just it was a return to basics in terms of how life could be or should be. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, I respect that, that, that selection for sure. Well, thank you. That's why I came on is for your respect, Russ. So I appreciate that. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't amount for much, but you know, it's there, you know, <laughs> there we go. Steve, no, there you go. What is your number five? My number five actually was really, was probably my hardest choice. Uh, Cause I was choosing based on, well, actually all of my five were, were, were based on how I liked the environment, uh, how much you know, I was thinking about it during the day, couldn't wait to jump back in sort of thing. And what really ruled out number five versus there are runner up. Uh, well, I'll just jump. I'll just tell you what it is. So I, my runner up, I like the lead in by the way. Thank you. Okay. Don't, don't sell yourself <laughs> short. I, yeah, I, right. I, I like, I, I have baited breath. So let me just tell you what my runner up was because I feel almost guilty not putting on the list, but, um, my runner up was rogue squadron, star Wars 
Rogue uh, Squadron. Okay. Oh, and, Star Wars Squadrons? Yeah. Yep. And so why that didn't make the list is because, you know, I, I feel like I didn't get the optimal experience playing the game. I loved what I played. Um, I thought that, I mean, a, a, a space so, you know, shooter, spaceship shooter, and the Star Wars environment with beautiful backgrounds. I mean, it just had really the list of what I wanted to, to a, a spaceship shooter to be. But it just didn't feel like because I didn't have an optimal setup with the VR and, uh, you know, a high-end, you know, CPU, I couldn't delve into it as deep as I wanted to. And I really felt hindered playing the game. And I didn't have that, I really can't wait to go play this game again feeling like I had actually for... What I chose for number five, which I kept on coming back and playing and playing and playing. I wasn't diehard with it, but um, I definitely loved the game, which was Legends of Runeterra. Oh, Legends of Runeterra, number five. So I found myself talking about the game a lot more with my my buddies and my colleagues and uh, got them starting to play it. And I really couldn't fault the game for what it was. And I, you know, I'm not a big card, you know, type, you know, player for this stuff. So this is really kind of my, my, my first entry into <laughs> to that type of game. I mean, I, I've dabbled in it here or there, but it wasn't even that that long. I just, it was either going to be a hit or it was going to be a miss or whatever. But I really couldn't fault the game for what they did. I mean, the, the animations were awesome and the voices were great. All the cards had personalities and the emotes were cool. I mean, it was really hard, really difficult to fault the game. And although I, I didn't spend hours upon hours upon hours upon playing it, I did throughout my week go, man, I gotta jump back into Legends of Runeterra. I gotta like, make sure I get my loot chest. I wanna get the new cards, maybe try a different strategy. And so because I couldn't get out of my head week after week after week, that made my number five. I love how you uh, very uh, sneakily talked about two titles in that one <laughs> thing there, Steve. <laughs> Kudos to you, good sir. Indeed. I was like, where is he going with this? He's talking about Star Wars Squadrons, but that's not his number five pick. What is it? Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I didn't know okay. we were doing runner-up. I, I would have talked about going to <laughs> which was my runner-up at number six. But anyway. Wait, 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 I didn't hear that. Which one was your was your runner up there, Brad? Uh, Ghosts of Tsushima, which I'm sure we're going to talk about at some point in the near future here. I think you're... Instincts serve you well. Uh, okay, so I guess it's my turn. Number five for me. Okay. This is a title that I had been looking forward to getting released because I had played the first uh, version of this. Well, it's not really a version. It's just the, the first game. This is the sequel. And that is Ori and the Will of the Wisps. I really, really thought that the, the, the first title was groundbreaking in the sense that it, by and large, is more of a traditional side-scrolling platformer. But they were making these decisions that actually made it a very compelling title. Um, and when the, with the sequel in mind, the soundtrack itself was fantastic. I loved the, the music, very sweeping ensemble of, of orchestral sounds. It was so good, I ended up buying the soundtrack on my iPhone, actually, and I, I listened to it here and there. The art direction itself, it's almost like Blizzard Entertainment were to make a side-scroller because there are certain sensibilities with the art direction that is reminiscent of like what you would see in like a, a Starcraft title or a Diablo title. And it makes sense because there are folks in lead positions at the company that used to work at Blizzard. <laughs> so it's, it's amazing how those things coincide. 
However, the 2.5D side-scroller itself was a major departure from the stuff that you tend to see at Blizzard. Um, and I, for one, am a sucker for that. I've always appreciated a um, really well-thought-out 2.5D side-scroller. The boss fights in the game harken back to a lot of the, the more old-school 8-bit, 16-bit style bosses that you'd come across. But, of course, this is on a... Uh, current gen version so there's a lot more bells and whistles to be um, found and, and appreciated um, the other thing too is that it is a long action title um, and I think it's worth noting that the studio itself I, I believe it's High Moon Studios they work from home all over the world before coronavirus was a thing so wow. this title has been in development for multiple years but they completely supported this idea where everybody worked from home on the title 100% of the time. And I think there were only like two, maybe three times during the year when the team got together. They would pick a location somewhere in the world and then they'd hang out for like a week or two just to have that in-person uh, camaraderie, being able to talk about different ideas for the game and, and essentially have kind of like a, a team building party kind of thing and then they, everybody would go back home and keep working on the game it's a strong testament to what can happen if you've got a great team working on any given product so i figured i would throw that in there. bradley number four for you so before i jump in on my number four i have to ask russ have you tried ori on your xbox series x and have you noticed much of a difference so I, uh, I just, okay, this is, this is, this is a, it's kind of a curveball answer here. I briefly checked out Ori on my Xbox Series X, but on my 1080p TV. Mm. Um, since that time, I have now hooked up my Xbox Series X to one of my 4K computer monitors, but I have not had a chance. I was going to do it this morning and didn't get a chance to do it because I wanted to see it. But um, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing like the crazy high frame rate along with the uh, the bumped up visuals because that, that is a game. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I recall from E3, I think, how they were pushing the, yeah. the idea that that game is getting a facelift. Yeah, yeah, I would love to see that. And I, I I played it on the uh, on the One X. I, I have not played it on my Series X, but I would love to load that up, and I may do that sometime this weekend and just see the HDR. I would think the colors in that game would just absolutely pop with, uh, you know, with a good screen and HDR on there. Yeah. Well, so, what were you going to say there, Steve? You, you, you yeah, I, <laughs> look, I couldn't tell if you're doing sit-ups or if you're leaning toward well, the mic. Well, I was going to say, I was going to, it's not that important, but I, when I was shopping at uh, Best Buy, not sponsored by Best Buy, by the way, um, they did have, they didn't have a uh, Series X hooked up playing it, but they had video footage of the Series X playing it. And yes, I felt like a mosquito drawn to the flame. It was absolutely <laughs> gorgeous. It really is. The The game itself, I, I made it all the way through. I think I have, I need to double check this, but I want to say I'm, I have about 98% of the entire game discovered, which is saying something because the game is reminiscent of like a like a Super Metroid, for example, where you could see there are certain places that clearly are explorable, but because you don't have certain skills unlocked, you have to go back and return at different times and that sort of thing. So 
Um, Brad, did you end up beating that title? No, I, I suck at video games, so uh, I never finished. That is not true. <laughs> no, I uh, the, the I don't know what happened on that. I, I probably put five or ten hours in on Will of the Wisps. I was in Will of the Wisps. Wow, that is a mouthful. Um, I was enjoying it. it. Um, and something else must have come out because... I just stopped playing it. So I'll, I'll have to go back, and uh, that is one I would like to check out and kind of wrap up. But uh, anyway, no, good, great games, both the first and the second one. Very well done, beautifully hand-drawn, tremendous uh, uh, um, visuals and audio. So yeah, great, great titles. I approve of your number five, Russ. I know that's that's why you invited me as for approval. Oh, thank you. I need that. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, I'll get us back on track. My number four. My number four title of the year is the first PS5 game that I played, Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um, so oh, picked that up yeah. with the launch PS5 that I've got in the uh, game room here. I absolutely adored that game. Uh, it is a perfect, like, nine, ten-hour title. Uh, good bite size, you know, not a... Not a 40-hour open-world game. There's way too many of those that have come out recently. But I love the character of Miles Morales. I love the way you can kind of turn the game into the Into the Spider-Verse. I mean, they've got the costume and everything, the suit and everything. And uh, the story is solid. It's tight. And that's something that happens with a nine-hour game as opposed to a 40-hour game. There's not a lot of fat to it, uh, so you're constantly being pulled forward with what's going to happen next in the story. I absolutely loved that. That's actually one of the only games that I've started on New Game Plus in many years. Um, so sitting Ooh. at number four, Spider-Man Miles Morales. I totally forgot about that title. I am an awful human being. I <laughs> You are. I, I, need I, to, I still need to that, buy right? that game. <laughs> yeah, I've now taken yeah, away I, the I need to. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> easy come, easy go. <laughs> uh, I totally forgot about that. I'm gonna have to to make a purchase because that, that has been on my to buy list. And I and uh, it, you know what? There are a number of titles that I still need to acquire. But I'm glad that you brought that up. I have heard from other sources too that that is in fact one of their favorite titles for 2020. So good on you for your number four. Steve, what is your number four? Russ, number four comes with controversy. Oh, I but like I, me a little controversy, Steve. I didn't feel like putting that higher. Uh, my number four pick was Cyberpunk. Whoa, number yeah, four for number Cyberpunk. Four. And I, if you remember... That, Sizzle Pizzle. That was my number one most anticipated title uh, that I was hoping for this, this year. Um, but it comes at number four because, yes... I, it, there are a lot of disappointments with it, especially where I'm at with the core Xbox One. Um, but that being said, as we were speaking with uh, Big Baby Moose the other day, if you if if you can get past a lot of the disappointment, if you can get if you can if you can not get <laughs> if you can not get like nauseated with like the the all the shuddering and the frame rates and uh, you know some people looking at you and speaking without their voices actually or, or, or uh, their mouths actually moving with their voice or whatever. I mean, there is a immensely substantial game there 
with, uh, I mean, I'm going to be, once they, all the problems are fixed, I'm going to be spending <laughs> a lot of time there. And I feel like, I mean, the game should not have been released until next year. But since it has been released this year and you can tell like, okay, once everything's good, once it's good to go, this game is going to be superior in every way. And I can see that from where I'm at now, and I'm, I am definitely drawn back. I love the environment, I love the story, I love how they, they, they treat me like an, an adult, uh, and not you know, just like a bunch of flashbang boom stuff to get my attention. I mean, there, there's so much to like about it, uh, that it does, uh, on the scale of like to dislike, pro to con, the pros definitely outweigh the cons. Uh, the cons are just definitely noticeable. So. I really like playing it. I'm gonna try not playing it until they have everything fixed, or at least so, so I can enjoy it at the most uh, possible that I, that, I, that I can. But um, and, and that's the thing. Like I, and that's why I think it's important. In, in number four, is that I cannot get away from my thoughts of I want to jump back in. I want to put other games on hold. You know, but I can't. It can't be higher on the list with that same regard because there's so many faults to it. So anyhow, Cyberpunk. Number quattro. Number numero quattro. Yeah, I was curious if the game was going to make it on your list or not, just because you have been playing it on the base Xbox One console. You're not even on the Xbox One X, and so you've had a, a very different experience in that regard. But uh, hey, it still broke through the top five for it you. Did. It did. Uh, for me, the number four pick was Final Fantasy VII Remake. Ah! It's, now this is this is something that uh, you know I feel like Steve can be a proud papa of sorts when it comes to me because I never played the original Final Fantasy VII. I watched you play Final Fantasy VII on the PS One back in the day, back in the nineties, and I was very enthralled with what was going on. I, I didn't like I said I, I didn't pick up the controller, but it was one of those games where I enjoyed sitting on the couch watching you do your thing. And so I feel as though with them making the remake, it was a calling, Steve. It was, I, I don't know, it, it was my destiny to sit down and give this game a whirl. And I'm glad that I did, even though it's not the, the complete game. It's just the kind of like the first third or quarter of the game. I don't even know in the grand scheme of things. I, for one, think that it is a testament to the solid gameplay mechanics that were created back in the day. Because with Square Enix and Capcom really leading the charge in this regard, we're like, they're, they're exploring titles that were made, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And not just doing like, like a little facelift or whatever, but actually going through and really making some, some significant changes. I, for one, applaud that because... There, first of all, you have certain generations that have never played the the OG version of these games, so they have no idea what they're missing. But second, um, I, I think that I, there, there's kind of stigma is too strong of a word, but I feel as though when we finish a game and we put it on the shelf, we have nostalgic feelings about it when we look at it, and we're like, "Oh, that was a good game," and it kind of ends right there. There's there's not like this compelling reason to revisit it. And so it kind of becomes a relic in our library or in the, the recesses of our cerebellum. So I think it's really cool with Final Fantasy VII to have a remake. I think that the art direction was absolutely fantastic. It was already really strong in the original title. That was something that I think helped put the PlayStation on the map. 
and for them to embrace the Unreal Engine, all of the characters look fantastic. All of the world and environments look just beautiful. The the soundtrack itself, I think it's great to hear that. Dun, 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 and, and it just brought me right back to watching you play the game. I don't even know. I mean, you're more of the big Final Fantasy fan, Steve. Is that that is that theme song in every single Final Fantasy title? <laughs> Basically, yes. It's, it's like it's kind of like oh, you won the battle, kind of sound. Yeah, yeah, you did not die this time. <laughs> Uh, it was just, it was great to hear the orchestral arrangement for it, uh, which I thought was again really terrific. The updated combat system actually works, in my opinion. I think that you know back in the day they had this very traditional turn-based combat where like you would select what each of your characters in your party would do, and then you'd watch the AI do something to you, and it's just this kind of taking turns back and forth. Whereas this was much more real-time action RPG-ish. And especially when I got used to some of the, the formulas as to how you could do combos using the character's skills or magic, whatever it is, um, there was a, a, a big appreciation on my side as to how they got this whole thing to work. So it definitely makes me look forward to what the sequel will entail. I hope that we don't have to wait too long because I think that's another quality about the titles that by the time I was done, it wasn't like, Oh, thank God it's over. I can go on to something else. It's like, oh man, like I don't want this to end. I'm at a point now where I want to see what comes next. And so I feel as though I'm finally able to understand what you have been enjoying for a long time, Steve. Awesome. And Bradley too. Brad, you you were playing the original Final Fantasies back in the day too, right? Oh yeah. I've, I've played ever since Final Fantasy 1 on the on the NES. I remember playing that at my grandmother's house when I was a wee lad. Um, see, so, I'm, I'm just yeah. a late bloomer. You are. <laughs> In so many ways, Russ. In so many ways. Um, but uh, no, the, the, I agree with you. I, I considered the Final Fantasy VII remake for my list. It didn't quite make the top five cut, but I thought it was fantastic. A um, little bloated in parts, I, I will say. There were yeah. a couple sections of that game that were like, all right, y'all are just trying to pad this, aren't you? Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I thought it was great how they used essentially the combat system from Final Fantasy 15 and, you know, kind of tied it all in together with the, uh, the remake there. And some of the liberties that they took with the original story, um, having played, and, you know, played the original back on the PlayStation, um, you know, there were certain story beats I expected and frankly, they didn't happen in the remake, and it really makes me curious where they're going to go with the long-term story of the remake. Um, so there, there's characters who are alive that should be dead, and uh, mm. certain characters who are introduced earlier than they were in the original. I mean, there, there's a lot of different pieces that really make this almost a fresh game from the ground up, uh, which is great. So... Again, I approve of your number four, Russ. I think you did a great job. Oh, thank you. Number three, Bradley, take us away. So number three, and I, I'm going to throw this out there because I've really struggled. My top three games for the year, depending on the way the wind is blowing, any one of these three has been my number one and any one of these three has been my number three, but Damn it, I have to make a decision at some point in time. So uh, <laughs> my number three, I've got to own it. So I'm owning number three, which is the first game I played on my Xbox Series X, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, so 
That is the game I am elbow deep in right now. I'm, I'm about 70 hours into the game over the last month or so, uh, and I am absolutely loving it. Um, I have loved all of the new breed Assassin's Creed games from Origin to Odyssey to now Valhalla. Um, you know, the Vikings are my people. I, I've got, you know, my background is Norwegian. So seeing these stories, hearing about these mythologies and everything they're working in, man, I am absolutely adoring this game. I actually, I finished the my main people. story yesterday. Now I'm kind of in the post main story stuff. There's a ton of content here. Um, so I absolutely love Eivor as a character. They take they take some uh, some twists in the story if you if you've been playing the Assassin's Creed since the beginning, some callbacks to some of the original characters, and it ends, frankly, on a twist that has me absolutely captivated to know where they're going to go next with the Assassin's Creed mythology. So uh, Valhalla came in as my number three. Now, when you look, I know I've asked you this before, and I'm just curious to know now if you if you have changed a bit. When you look at Assassin's Creed Valhalla versus Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which I believe was the previous title in the series, which one do you like better? Ooh. So that's hard to say. Um, I ended up putting about 140 hours into Odyssey. That was my... Uh, that was my belated game of the year last year, if you remember right. I kind of cheated. It came out in uh, <laughs> in 2018, but it came out at the end of the year, right at the same time as Red Dead. Red Dead took priority, so I ended up not playing Odyssey until after the first of the following year. But, um, man, that is tough. I, You know, I, I have to see how all the pieces come together before I can honestly answer that question. Some of the things I loved about Odyssey, you know, the, the, <laughs> the there are just some some absolutely insane moments in Odyssey. You know, you end up going to Atlantis and you get a staff that grants immortal life, and it it just it goes so off the rails, fun, crazy. Um, you know, so I, I'm curious to see as I finish out some of this end game stuff as they add in some of the post-game or post-launch DLC where um, where Valhalla lands. As far as the characters go, you know, I, I love Eivor, as I mentioned, over... I'd probably take her over Cassandra, uh, who was the main character I used in, uh, in Odyssey. But I love the Norse mythology as well. So, you know, balancing the Norse versus the Greek mythology, I mean, it's... Man, it, it, that's a tough question, Russ. I don't have an answer, so I'm just going to keep rambling. Uh, actually, no, I'm going to stop totally rambling, fine. and I'm going to turn it over to Steve. Steve, what's your number three? <laughs> <laughs> you, can you believe I, ha I have had Odyssey for the longest time? I've literally not – I've only started to play it like five minutes, and then other stuff was out, and you know the show had to move on, and we were playing other games, and so I've yet even moved past like five minutes of it. But it might be a good thing because – uh, I, I, I heard a lot of folks say, yeah, if you got to, if you just got to one, the, the Xbox one, you're not really going to go see all the visual splendor of the game. Like you have to really get a better system. And so I guess I really tucked that back in my cerebellum thinking, yeah, I'll just play it when, you know, the next system comes out or if I, whatever I get and I can enjoy it that much more. So it is still pretty much brand spanking at my, so it's well, it actually, it's, oh, go ahead, Russ. 
I, I was going to ask you, Brad, do you know if that title is part of the, uh, I don't know how they're calling it, but basically like if you could get like an Xbox series X, will it improve the visuals of Assassin's Creed Odyssey? I don't know if Odyssey is, but I mean, absolutely Valhalla is at this point. God, man, at this point, I'd probably just jump in on Valhalla. Um, you know, that's the newer one, jump in and play it. But you know, it's just, and Steve, it's funny hearing you say that after you talked about cyberpunk, which of all games appears to be totally broken on the, uh, (laughs) on the OG console. Um, so yeah, I, I would play, I, I think they're both great. I, I would absolutely spend time with them. You know, I think they look better. I always thought that Odyssey looked better than Red Dead 2. I mean, that that's as I played through it, I truly felt that. So I think they're gorgeous games. And, um, you know, Steve, time to get a new console. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably closer to my, uh, you know, maybe next month. Maybe I, I would say it, it, I, I have to get it on my birthday. Have my birthday gift to me for uh the next console. Well, you know, your birthday is in February, so that's not too far away. Not yeah, too far away. Well, no one's got them right now anyhow, so. Yeah, they're all sold out. So I'm not even going to stress so much. My number three, though, Russ. <laughs> we've already talked about it once, but I have more liking for it than you did, apparently. I have my number three as Ori. Oh, did you ever beat Ori in the I Will of the Wisps? I have not. We kept, I need, I take my time. And I enjoy the Apparently. Game. And I don't want to rush through it. I want to look at everything. Plus, it, it, I had other stuff I had to do. But, <laughs> beside the point. Anyhow, it made number three because, uh, I, again, this, it, it, hmm. I really did not find <laughs> fault with the game. And, yes, it's a side scroller. And I, but I thought, man, I really feel like this one game made me feel different than not just all the games I've played this year, but for many years past, where it really seems like the games are going towards, okay, you got a gun and you're in a post-apocalyptic time and you you gotta take out the zombies or take out the baddies or take out this portion, take out the, I mean, just gun shoot, gun shoot, gun shoot stuff. And it's almost seeming like it, 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 I don't feel, it's really hard actually to get unplugged from life and, and then, you know, plug in somewhere else where I just wanna be completely like enveloped in like this this atmosphere and looking at Ori everything was just so beautiful and peaceful and I didn't feel you know totally adrenaline pumped when I was trying to play the game and that's all what happens a lot when I play games and I play games a lot at, at night and then I and then the problem is trying to settle down to go to sleep because my I keep on thinking about the game and how intense it was and Ori was, yeah, I guess it was a little bit intense that time, but the rest of the part was just absolutely beautiful to look at wherever I was in the game. And it didn't really matter how, that I had to go kind of back and forth, like, oh, I got this new ability, or I unlocked this other place here, and so I have to traverse all the way across the map or whatever, even though they had some, some fast travel points. But it was just beautiful wherever you looked at. And sometimes I just kind of kept the game on because some of the, the, the music that was played was also peaceful and I had it kind of resonating in the house. Uh, my wife loved watching me play it. She liked, I'm playing it a little bit. All those games aren't really her thing, but I just, I yeah, I haven't beat it. But because of the fact that I felt completely different playing this game than a vast majority of other games and it was so, so pleasant and peaceful, I came on going back to that. That's why it made number three. The music, the visuals, the playability. I mean, I, I really fell in love with it. But I will have it say a disclaimer. You know, I hadn't played the, the Blind Forest before, so this is my first Ori experience. 
Oh, I thought you did. No, I did not. So, I mean, may, maybe if I had played that one and then jumped into this one, maybe it would not rank as high. But ha this is my first experience with uh, you know, th this type of game, and um, I, I just loved it from end to end. Awesome. I'm impressed, Steve. I'm impressed. Thank you, Russ. Very nice. So my number three is Legends of Runeterra. Oh! I had a little bit difficulty placing this particular title just simply because it has been one of my most played games of 2020. The thing that, and, and Steve, I know you touched a little bit on this. I'm going to touch on a little bit further. Mm. I'm going to fondle this a little bit more. Don't touch if, it too if you much. Don't mind. Might fall off. Uh, when it comes to this, so CCG or um, collective card games have been around for a long time, but it's it's a genre that I never had gotten into. It just looked too complex. I'm I'm I, it didn't grab me with other like I know I have friends who play. Uh, like Magic the Gathering, for example. And that's a hugely successful CCG. But it, for me, I just, for whatever reason, couldn't get into it. And I tried getting into it with some of the other ones. I know, like, like Blizzard had its Hearthstone. Uh, and I, I, it still didn't connect with me fully. And it wasn't until Riot Games released Legends of Runeterra I gave it a shot, and I was hooked immediately. And I think... It, it, it just, there's something about the secret sauce of when you make a game and lots of gaming developers will tell you this, it's hard to actually describe, but like when you're able to nail the formula in such a way that it makes people just want to just continue to play the game, it's just a fun game. And this game by itself I would even go so far as to say it's probably more within the casual games category, but I absolutely love playing this game. I still play it to this day. I think the production values are one of the recipe ingredients that make it so successful in the sense that it's right up my alley. I love the showmanship of everything. Um, I love how much character and personality are within the cards. So when you draw a card, you hear some sort of uh, memorable VO that, that happens, or if you uh, cause some sort of uh, combo or magical thing to happen or whatever, there's just these really cinematic uh, animations that take place. And it brings the card game to life. It's not just, oh, here are your cards, now play a card game. You can tell like, like they, they really explore the idea of what possibly goes through a gamer's mind like when you when you plop down some awesome card like oh what if we did this or what what what, what would it look like if this was an actual battle kind of thing so I, I for one really appreciated a lot of that I also appreciate the fact that Riot has been very uh, punctual with constant DLC where they're adding new regions they're adding new types of cards new game modes that sort of thing and it has been my go-to game for my iPhone for the entire year. Like just, you know, if I'm, doesn't matter where I actually, where I am, but um, if I'm just in the mood to just play something for five minutes and put it down and pick it up later and play it for five minutes, put it down, whatever, it, it is a, a lot of fun. So that is my number three. Bradley, what is your number two pick? My number two pick was my surprise of the year. It was a, a game that wasn't even on my radar. 
It was just something that came out of nowhere. It was not even a full price title. And that was Hades for the, uh, and I played it on the Switch. So I absolutely fell in love with this game as soon as I started playing it. I, I saw some folks online talking about it and figured, hey, why not? Let's give it a shot. Uh, I've recommended it to a few people, Russ, uh, and I don't think that any of them have actually played <laughs> it's it. On my, um, <laughs> it's on my to-buy list right next to Spider-Man Miles Morales. <laughs> there you go. So this is a, it's a rogue-like game, and basically you are the son of Hades, and you're trying to escape from Hades to go find your mom. I mean, that, that is the story of the game. Um, the characters are fantastic. The voice acting is fantastic. It's very, very uh, well-written, tongue-in-cheek. I mean, they, they make fun of you every time you die. And basically, you go on a run. Every run has a different build. So you pick your weapon. As you come across different rooms, you get different boons, kind of improvements to your skill level. And you end up with just this perfect build. And you're like, man, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And then you'll hit a wall or you'll hit an enemy or a, um, a boss battle that you just completely get your butt kicked. Then you start all the way back at the beginning. But every time you go, you make it a little bit further. You get a little bit stronger. And the story plays so well. Um, so great action, great story, great characters. I mean, this, this as I'm sitting here talking about it at number two, I'm almost kicking myself going, why wasn't it your number one, Brad? Come on. Um, I mean, it really was a very difficult choice for me between this and what I landed on at number one. Um, but I would strongly, strongly, strongly recommend Hades to anybody who uh, who actually likes video games. Uh, it is an absolute blast and worth every moment that you're playing it. So fantastic game. Again, cannot recommend it highly enough. I do have a question for you. Oh. I I may have asked you this already in the past, so I apologize. My brain is not what it once was. <laughs> when it comes to Hades, mm -hmm. would you say that the game is similar to Dead Cell? Dead Cells? Um, I only that only in that it's a red a roguelite. Excuse me. So, but no, not really. Yes, no, not okay. really. No, because. Um, yeah, no, not really. I mean, similar but different, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Again, I'm yeah. rambling. You have me rambling again. Um, <laughs> so, Did no, I ask I mean, you that already in the past or not? I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe. We talk so much. Who remembers? But uh, yeah. no, I mean, it, it's got some similarities, but it's a very different game. Uh, you know, Dead Cells is a side-scroller. This is more of a Diablo-style three-quarter view. Um you know, they're similar in that they're roguelites and they're similar in that they're action games. But, you know, again, very, very different. Dead Cells doesn't have much of a story. This one is very story driven. Um, Dead Cells is more about the weapons that you find. This is more about the boons and power ups. I mean, just very different, very different, but some similarities. Okay. Right so, on. Yeah. But no, definitely worth playing. I, again, cannot recommend it enough. So, all right. Steve, what do you have at number two? Number two, we have already spoken about. But I ranked it a little bit higher, which is uh, FF7, Russ. I had a Fantasy Seven remake. To be honest, I wasn't sure if that game was going to be your number one or number two. I knew it was going to be high, though. So I, when I first played this on 
PlayStation, I it changed my world. And the game was so long, but it was awesome from start to finish. But because it was so long, I I mean, I think I had you remember those memory cards with the for the PlayStation that you could buy that you would stick in there and you could they were basically just like game save yeah. cards. That's basically what they were. Well I had I filled up one of those little memory cards SMU? of or MU? They used to be called like, like MU or SMU something or something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah, but that was basically what they were. It was little memory cards. Uh, with, with, with you know, they allowed you to save your a bunch like of. You games can put like stickers games. on them, right? They little little indentation in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can kind of like, okay, I got all these that are kind of off white. What game is what? <laughs> I'm gonna put all six in there. See what happens. So I had like a ton of just different game saves on one card, because I I loved starting the game over from certain points, but I couldn't. I couldn't just get myself to completely start the game over. I could do all like the the extra content with with the 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 big spells that you were able to find. I maxed out all my characters, and I have like I don't even know how many. The clock stopped at 99 hours, at 99.99 hours, and who knows how much time I even have in that game. And I had you know if anybody has been listening to the show, I have been saying like look there is some really fantastic games that are old that need to be redone and relived and replayed with today's technology because they would be absolutely spectacular blow the roof off awesome and 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 so when when they when square said they were making final fantasy 7 again i mean that, that, i i couldn't have a, a, a happier wish <laughs> let's put it that way i think that didn't rank it highest because well you'll know with my number one but um also too i really felt like okay you know at the beginning i had final fantasy in its entirety now i have partial final fantasy you know seven and i I, we have to wait for all the rest of them to come out so i I mean they're really you know it's not it's not a full final fantasy seven from playstation one Final Fantasy in its entirety from PlayStation 4. You're getting these little parts, and that's kind of like, mm, well, I can't really say it's the entire game. But, yeah, you know, it's really fun playing it all over again, seeing what the modern technology can do uh, with the, the, the graphics. I mean, with, with we, we can be surrounded in our environment. We don't have, like, this, this static one image that we kind of have to move this, you know, very limited polygon character with spiky hair. <laughs> or ice cream cone hair, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> all throughout this, like, one single picture. Um, but, man, no, it, it is definitely good. I mean, and they, they did do a very good job with, with Cloud. Um, yeah, some part of it, you know, now that we know what Cloud's actual, like, tone is in his voice and stuff, <laughs> like, you're like, mm, I kind of liked how I thought his, he sounded before, you know, <laughs> in my own imagination sort of thing. Uh, but that doesn't take away much from the game, and... Um, yeah, I, I have not beat it yet, but everything that I've seen so far with the spells and the new attack system and, you know, a very smooth frame rate and all the colors and the enemies and, I, I mean, I, I do feel like I am reliving that that experience over again that I've been waiting for and waiting for for such a long time. And so, um, thank you very much to, uh, to Squaresoft, or Square Enix. There you go. I should say. <clears throat> Very nice, Steve. Thank you for that. My number two, Ghost of Tsushima. Oh. Ghost of Tsushima. So you guys know, it's no secret, that I have always been a fan of more of the ninja-esque slash uh, 
pun intended, samurai uh, oriented action adventure titles. I've always loved them since the 8-bit days and it, it is no exception in, in this instance. In fact, last year, my number one pick was Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which was absolutely fantastic. Uh, I've never had a more intense experience uh, in terms of, of game difficulty than that game. And this one was, it was hard because I was kind of going back and forth with whether or not this was going to be my number one pick, but it ended up being uh, number two for me. The open world action adventure set in ancient feudal Japan is, uh, it makes me so excited. I, I have always had a fascination with that time period. And I am so happy that this, this whole vision by Sucker Punch Studios is fully realized. The, uh, the combat mechanics, uh, the, the idea of a standoff, which I, had, I, I can't recall another game introducing this particular type of gameplay mechanic. I use that all the time, it, it, which was, it was refreshing for me because typically when I play a lot of the older ninja games, um, more often than not, I tried to go for more of a stealthy approach. And if I got caught or whatever, then I would go and I would attack and uh, so on and so forth. Um, but in this instance, it was an amazing feeling, the sensation of you walking up like a badass to like the front gates of some sort of stronghold and calling the enemies out. Um, I've never seen that before. And it was it was a, a very empowering feeling, I must say, when it comes to gaming. You, you're there and and then of course you you have kind of the who's gonna flinch first kind of a moment and then hopefully if you uh, don't give in to some of the, the, the fakes or the psych outs that, that the, uh, the enemy does, you are rewarded. There is this payoff where then, especially if you upgrade the payoff, you can take out in slow motion and cinematic flair, like I think four or five opponents just swing, swing, swing. I mean, it was, it was very rewarding in that regard. Um, but then again, it wasn't limited to just having standoffs. You know, you, you have multiple skill trees that are open-ended in terms of um, which ones you want to upgrade at what points of the game. And you don't even have to upgrade them in order to, order to progress if you don't want to, or you can really, um, you know, just, just work your way through earning enough to be able to uh, have the experience to, to upgrade your skills. Um, and what I thought was cool was that this, each skill set was a different type of sword play. That's what I thought was, was very cool about the, the notion where, depending on if you were fighting an enemy that had a shield versus a, a larger Goliath styled enemy versus um, an enemy that had a spear, so on and so forth. It was really great that they had the thoughtfulness where, you know, in order to really kind of stand head and shoulders in terms of an advantage over certain enemy types, you would on like in real time switch up your sword style and I don't know, it, it made for a very fresh encounter every single time. Now, I mentioned stealth earlier and stealth still plays a role in this game where, where they do not penalize you if you decide you want to be more passive and take more of a stealthy approach. I did that in certain instances and some side quests, that is kind of the goal, right? Like, it's like, okay, I get that. But I think it was really cool. Another aspect of this game that I really like is the thoughtfulness toward the culture. 
you know, having the ability to do simple things like bowing toward um, citizens, right? Or you're at a, at, a, at a graveyard site and you bow to a tombstone. Not only does it have the animation, but there's also things that, that are reciprocated in turn where if I bow toward a citizen, the citizen will bow back toward me. If I bow toward someone who was slain and someone sees that, they comment on the fact that I'm showing respect for the fallen. Um, just little little touches like that, uh, I, I find to be very cool. And it's becoming more standardized, which makes me excited because it shows how important it is that you go farther in there. The idea of the haiku, where you're kind of, you're, you're exploring and discovering different parts of this open world and you come across places where you sit down and you actually get to put together a haiku based on where you are in the hero's journey and what the surroundings look like and stuff. Um, the fact that you have the option to play the entire game where all the characters speak Japanese and you have to read the English subtitles as opposed to all the characters having English. Those components really push the game toward an authentic Japanese experience and it makes me look forward to other instances that perhaps can take place in other parts of the world with their own languages, their own customs, their own traditions because then you not only do you get to learn about how they live their lives as a community but you also get to feel as though you are now part of that community um, which I, I mean to me is a is an important aspect of gaming overall. The art direction is a no-brainer. I think we can all say that when we were playing this game, the colors, I, I have never seen more vibrant colors in a game before than in Ghost of Tsushima. I think it, it, it is amazing what they were able to create, not only with the foliage and the leaves on the trees, the time of day and night, the weather, um, Really, really, really cool stuff. The soundtrack was just beautiful. Really, really beautiful music and the whole thing. Even the idea that you have a, your own flute and, and you can uh, play it as you're riding on horseback. Or if, um, you know, say, for instance, you want to change the, the, the weather pattern itself. You know, there's kind of a little mythical component to the flute playing where if it's uh, lightning storms and rain, you play your flute and suddenly the rain stops and then you have this peaceful kind of... Uh, slightly breezy sunny day i think a lot of that stuff is very methodical in terms of what the team was trying to accomplish with it so i will say if i had to critique it a little bit i didn't think that, that there were certain areas that went far enough that i think were more present in games like red dead redemption 2 where you had more of a relationship with your horse you had to actually take naps or uh, feed yourself, you know, doing little kind of like day-to-day -day things that, that people in real life have to do to survive. I think that that would have been really cool if they would have done this in uh, Ghost of Tsushima, but that just means that it's an opportunity for them to implement that for the sequel. And one of these days, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna conclude with this. Steve will at some point finish the game <laughs> And then we'll have to have you back on, Bradley, and then we oh. can all three discuss the ending <laughs> of the game. Yeah, you know my feelings on uh, on the ending of that game, Russ. I I I agree with everything you just said. What I thought was interesting is you never once meant never once mentioned story as one of the things you loved oh. about that game. You did. Hold on. So my issue with that game is the ending, and I'm going to leave it at that. That left me so disappointed in the 45 hours that I put into that game 
because they had such a moment, such such a such a setup for a huge iconic moment, and they yeah. took the video game route. And um, man, I I I agree with everything you just said. I feel like the story the story is what pushed that game off my list, um, especially with where it ends. But uh, anyway, so there you go. There's my two cents. I would love to dig in and go spoiler cast on that. And talk about that ending if Steve ever finishes the game. Hopefully, maybe by his birthday. You never know. <laughs> we'll have to see what happens. He's getting close, though. We have now entered the number one favorite game of 2020 for each of us. Bradley, would you be so kind as to tell us what is your number one pick? Oh, I, I have to ask before I, I put it out there. Does anybody have a guess what my number one pick is going to be? Oh, that's a good question. Tetris <laughs> 2020. I, actually, you know what? <laughs> Tetris on the Xbox <laughs> Series X is freaking amazing. So that Tetris effects game is totally worth it. But no, that's not my number one game. Man, you know, it's difficult because you have already <laughs> listed certain titles that I thought were in the running for your number one pick. Ah, okay. So then I'll just jump in. Uh, I landed number one on what was probably my most anticipated game of the year. And even though it took some turns, it took some twists from where I expected it to go. The Last of Us Part Two is going to be my oh. number one game, favorite game of the year. Um I loved the original Last of Us. That's one of the few games, again, that I've played through multiple times, played through it, then played through it again. When the remake came through, I thought Ellie and Joel's story from the first game was great. The idea of playing a future Ellie, you know, Joel a little bit older, uh, really excited me about The Last of Us 2, and Naughty Dog, obviously, is, uh, if not the the premier studio, one of the premier studios, when it comes to cinematic action adventure games. So uh, I absolutely adored The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, I'm going to get into some minor, minor spoilers as we go here. The game's been out for nine months, so if you haven't played it, um, you know, I'm not going to go too deep on plot things. But one of the things The Last of Us Part Two did that, that totally shocked me was you end up playing almost half the game as a character other than Ellie. You end up playing as Abby, whose father was the uh, the doctor that was murdered by Joel at the end of the first game. And so it, it really, to me, does a masterful job. First of all, the game is beautiful. The characters are perfectly acted. But, um, you know, playing the game from two sides of the coin, right? So you play the first half of the game. There's a sprinkling here and there of Abby. Play the first half of the game as Ellie. You get up to a point, and then all of a sudden it flips the script, and you play about 40% of the game as Abby before it goes back to Ellie. And um, getting to see the other character's perspective, getting to see the perspective of the antagonist as opposed to the protagonist, I found myself and our, our friend Chris, who... Russ, you know, he played it as well. Good we old Mr. Pelfrey. Good old Mr. Pelfrey. We both found ourselves being Team Abby at the end of the game, which was shocking. Um, you know, I'd already fallen in love with Ellie, but the time I reached the end of the game, I wanted Abby to win. Um, I wanted Abby to have the quote-unquote happy ending. 
as much as this world has happy endings. And that to me was uh, one of the video game moments where I'm like, wow, how did they do that? How did they tell a story that literally turned me on a character I had spent so much time with and fallen in love with? And it was, um, man, the action in that game is good. The story is fantastic. I am so excited to see what they do with uh, The Last of Us as they make a TV show for HBO. Um, you know, knowing that the folks who are in charge of that have, you know, have some pedigree with Chernobyl and, you know, some of the other shows that they've made and written. Um, because I think the story in The Last of Us, you know, it, it took takes some twists, it takes some turns, but I absolutely, absolutely adored The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, obviously, it was fairly controversial when it came out. A lot of people weren't happy about the fact that their beloved character was, you know, suddenly looked at as a uh, as the pro, as the antagonist by somebody else, seeing it from their perspective. Um, but uh, yeah, that I will go back at some point and replay that game because um, The Last of Us Part Two is is simply a masterpiece. So it ended up at my number one spot. I totally forgot about that game and you playing it. <laughs> Which is amazing because it was one of the biggest games of the year. I mean, the video oh, game totally awards was. just gave it number, you know, I think it won best uh, pretty much everything at the video game awards. But uh, right. yeah, and I honestly well-deserved. I, I, you know, cannot wait to see what Naughty Dog does next. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see if they go back to the world of Last of Us or they go in a different direction. Last of Us Part 2, Representation by Bradley. Steve, what is your number one? Well, it should come to no surprise, Russ. Actually, you know what's really funny? As I told Brad, I didn't know his number one. I have no idea what your number one is because you said Final Fantasy was number two, and you've already said Cyberpunk, so I'm like, I don't... I don't uh, you're don't kidding know. me, Russ. I've only been talking about it for weeks on end. Russ. <laughs> what? Ghosts of Tsushima is my oh, number Oh, right. So this was actually my number three for the most anticipated uh, 2020 titles. And I really didn't know. I mean, it looked great at E3, but I really didn't know how it was going to play because I, unlike you, I don't really care to have like these, you know, ninja assassin type games where you have to be stealthy all the way through. Like, that's not really my bag, baby. That is more your bag. With your initials oh, and on. your stickers. Uh, and it smells like you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not really my thing. But, and so when I started playing this, I really, at, in the beginning, honestly, I didn't really care for it all that much, probably because I was dying all the time. Um, but <laughs> I, I I kept, I mean, I, I keep going back to it. And it is, to me, the visuals are a treat. The music is a treat. And I mean, and yeah, you guys didn't mention anything about the story. And yes, I have not beat it yet. Uh, but I like the story as far as uh, I have all the way up till act three, I guess I'd say, because I'm that's where I'm at right at this point. I really do like the story. I like the, the push and pull of like, do we honor more our culture or do we save our land from our, our people with any methods necessary? Uh, because this is war. And are, are we going to, you know, what good is honor if we're all dead at the end of the day and no one remembers us, you know? And man, I, I really felt like, um, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was twitching the game a lot and I felt like in a way, 
I wanted to share the beauty with everybody who might, you know, tune in to us. Uh, without the, you know, I wouldn't think that, okay, probably, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of this game is actually sold and people are enjoying it in their own houses anyway, but I felt like it was the splendor of every angle of the game was was just a masterpiece. Yeah, it, but it didn't have that level of, um, uh, rocks, yeah, what was the game? Uh, gee, I can't even think of it now. Um, Which game? Red Dead, actually. Oh, That's what I was, I was trying R2? to think. Like, oh, Rockstar, what, GTA? No, that wasn't <laughs> Rockstar, <laughs> Energy Drink? No. Game Studio? Yes. So it didn't have, like, yeah, that level, uh, that little extra level of, like, you know, yeah, you got to take care of yourself. Because if, you know, and when, I'm, when I'm twitching, I'm like, yeah, you know, what are they, what are, I just saved this person's life. Are they giving me something to eat? What exactly are they giving me as a gift for saving their life? I don't really know. But he doesn't eat, and he doesn't drink, and he doesn't sleep. And so, yeah, having played a game where, yeah, you should definitely take care of yourself to a game where yeah that, that's not really a big deal yeah that probably would have made it better but it's definitely not taking anything away from the game and I mean if if playing the game results to me pausing and observing and wanting to, to take pictures and post them on Twitter and, or you know whatnot that to me just says something where like the, the, the aspect of me playing and enjoying game is just to stop and stand still and just look and wonder yeah. everything around me. And yeah, there was, there was stuff that was put in there for drama. Like there's just rose petals and leaves and like willows blowing everywhere. Like, you know, I, I get it. I got it, you know, but, uh, that what that just added to the splendor. And, you know, I was thinking the other day, you know, a lot of the, the games that I have played with, um, Japanese characters have been really kind of like that far into the personality. Like, think of Hayachi Mashima. You know, when he speaks, he's like real charismatic character. Like all the time. And that's that's basically what I get when I play some of those games. And so just to be like in the culture under like a normal story, um, and, and maybe, I mean, I haven't done any kind of history digging. I don't know if it's accurate, inaccurate. Maybe they just made it up. I don't know. I mean, I'm just being forthcoming with it, but... Um, anyhow, just to hear like the, the Japanese dialogue, yeah, I, and, it, and it took away from me looking at the screen and, and the center and just looking at the bottom of my screen just to read all the subtitles. But I loved everybody speaking in Japanese as if they were, that's that's how they speak. I mean, no one speaks like Hayachi Mishima yeah. all the time. I mean, give me a break. So, uh, man, I, I just really, really did like it. I, I, I thought that, you know, maybe with if this was a PS5 title, what could it what could have they have done more? Like with the water and the waves and the the weather effects and and you know maybe putting more um, you know detail on the armor. But I mean, they had so much different like variations of the armor and like the helmets and and uh, like the shoulder arm uh, armor and the swords and the bow and arrow and man, I just really wanted to continue more and more. And, I, and I'm, yeah, I'm in Act 3. I'm about to, you know, end it. And I know there's some some DLC and some other stuff you can do, but man, I definitely want more. And that's the game that, that's the game I kept coming back to. And that's the game I thought about most. That's the game I kept on talking to you about most, Rot. You pay attention. Well, I mean, we, we have <laughs> talked over this past year quite a bit on a number of titles. We have. But, uh, but yeah, no, Ghost of Tsushima was one that we have talked about quite a bit. And actually, I'm glad that you brought up the armor and the weapons because that was something that I didn't mention when I was talking about it um, as my number two. The part of, of the culture aspect of the game 
um, you know, and, and especially when it comes to um, a culture as old as the Japanese, you have, and, and this is not exclusive to, to the Japanese, you have other ancient cultures that did the exact same thing. But in this instance, I loved how much beauty was placed in every article of clothing, every part of the armor, every bow and arrow, like you said, every sword. I mean, there, it was amazing. I spent time where I was just in awe within the character customization screen, looking at every set of armor, but then also you could like swap out. You can mix and match if you wanted to. That was a very, um, comprehensive approach to something that, man, it's the word authenticity comes to mind when I look at that, because it's not like some sort of fantastical, Oh, we're going to make up stuff as we go along. And there's merit to that in its own right. But when it comes to, um, a culture as well known as Jap as Japan, as the, as the Japanese, um, you have to make sure that you do your homework. You, you cannot just freewheel that you need to make sure that you have, I'm sure probably sucker punch had, um, consultants who are from Japan who help them with those different areas. I, I, I'd be willing to bet money on that because as, as I was going through all that, it's like, man, this, this really does look like this is legit. This is not something where people just for the sake of the, you know, wanting to, it to look quote unquote cool. They did so. Everything was very methodical. So I'm glad that you, glad you brought that up, Steve. And I'll, I'll just end with just the ending, I guess, because uh, I mean, maybe I'll be sorely disappointed. I mean, from both of you guys talking about it, I mean, <laughs> just might be a certain percentage of, of disappointment there. But from what I've experienced so far, I don't think that would pro like prohibit me from starting a brand new game all over again, especially when when I get a PS5. And that's one of my main compelling reasons to get a PS5 uh, pre a lot of these next-gen games is mainly I want to see that game running as best as it possibly can, and I want the new game plus. I want to experience it knowing all that I know so far from the beginning, running the best it can run all the way up to the end. And maybe the ending, yeah, I was like, okay, thanks for playing, goodbye. Uh, press start for a new game. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so think, you know, maybe it is that way. Maybe it, it isn't that way. But uh, since I've experienced everything and it's been wonderful up until this point, I know that if I started the game over, it'll still be just as wonderful, if not even more so, up until this point. So, um, anyhow, yeah, I, um, I, I, I meant to do some more digging before the show because I really wanted to see what their inspiration was like if there was some samurai movies that you know came out of japan um that were beautiful like this or with a story just like this i want to see them like after mm. playing this game i want to see those movies and maybe that they, they didn't but i wanted to do that and i just uh, that kind of slipped my mind before the show but either way um i will go home and i will still play more ghost of tsushima I will still play a lot of the games that I that I have here on the list, but I think that is the one where, yes, yeah, starting a new game plus all over again, man, I will I will do that before I'll do Cyberpunk, mm. and that's why it makes my number one. Bradley, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say that uh, Ghost of Tsushima it shocks me that this was created by a Western studio, not a Japanese yeah. studio. There were um, even some comments along the way that, you know, some of the Japanese studios were like, okay, what are we missing that we don't even capture yeah, Japanese I remember culture reading that. as strongly as this Western studio did? Um, 
and I, I was listening to another podcast. And, uh, what? I know. How dare I? I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, he's, <laughs> the guy's wife is Japanese, and she watched him play it, and she was like, oh, my God. This is, you know, there, there was one or two little things that she picked up on. But for the most part, she was like, wow, this, she was shocked when it wasn't, uh, when she found out it wasn't a Japanese studio that created it. Um, so yeah, they nailed the aesthetic and the culture. You know, Steve, it sounds like you need to go watch some Kurosawa films if you're looking for, uh, you know, some good I will. Japanese films there. But, uh, cause I think that's a lot of the inspiration, but, uh, yeah, it great game again i just disappointed in in some little bits at the end but we'll talk about that later indeed so russ what's your number one i'm dying i'm bated breath (laughs) so my number one pick is a bit of a controversial one as well uh but no my number one pick uh, you know, I was going back and forth, but trying to figure out what it was I was going to have for this slot. And it, it did switch, um, places a couple of times. I have decided to go with cyberpunk 2077 for the PC. Knew it. And I think that there, there are several things about this that are interesting to me. First of all, there, there's a, it's, it's like a tale of two stories, right? The PC version and the console version. So, like, if you were to go to a place like IGN, they gave the PC version of the game a 9 out of 10. If you look at the console version of the review, they gave it a 4 out of 10. And I think that that really tells a story, because in my mind, when I first pre-ordered this game, I pre-ordered it for the Xbox, because at the time I was expecting to play it on the Xbox One. And it then got a series of delays. And then when the game was released, it was quickly discovered that this game actually runs better on the Xbox Series X and PS5 as opposed to the PS4 and the Xbox One. But not only that, the idealized, optimized version of this game was on PC. But it doesn't stop there either because the game itself was riddled with bugs and I have experienced my own number of bugs playing the game. So it's it's interesting to me like how crazy of a launch this game has had at the same time that you had all that going on you had them um making eight million um i think it was like eight million copies of the game was already pre-ordered when the game uh was about to come out and we heard about how they offered a refund and we've talked about that on this program about how there are um, some frictions going on where like Sony straight up uh, took it off of, of their PlayStation store. And so there's a lot of that going on. But despite even that going on, the number has now been over 13 million copies has been sold since the game was released. So it's this incredibly uh, like turbulent uh, past couple of weeks since the game was launched. And there's been a lot of, of chatter over how the game is and what's in, what's in there, what's not in there, that sort of thing. And so for me, I just want to you know, have a disclaimer in that what I'm selecting as my favorite game of 2020 is the PC version because I have played on both the Xbox Series X as well as the PC. And the PC does in fact have uh, the best experience on the game. 
that's saying something because even my PC cannot turn on every single visual setting that the game has to offer. Like ray tracing, for example, I do not have the option to turn that on, yet it still looks amazing. And it makes me look forward to when they have a drop that's, that's supposed to happen next year where, where they will, in fact, um, do like a graphics upgrade for the next consoles, like you know, PS5, Xbox Series X. Because right now, the, the version of the game that they're playing is for the base consoles of the PS4 and the Xbox One. It's not like you're getting the correct upgrade based on the, the hardware spec of the next systems. And I think they may even continue to do that as well on the PC version um, in terms of, of making it a little more friendly and not so taxing on everything. Um, this game could have easily spent another six months in development. I think that it's a classic example of what happens when you have developers who are really putting their all into a game and then you have the executive side that is more concerned with the numbers and the bean counting and wanting to get it out before Christmas and all this other stuff. And so there's there's always that headbutting going on. Having said all that, I'm going to dive into why this was my pick. I have currently put in, I believe, over 60 hours into this game, and I'm not even halfway done yet. Hmm. Um, I don't know we're close to being done. To give you an idea, I was telling Steve last night, the, you know, the, the max level your character can get to is level 50. And my character right now is 16. And I'm taking my time with the game, of course, and I'm going through stuff, but there are so many side quests, so many gigs, so many um, components to the main story. And I'm having a lot of fun going through all of this. The city itself, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, is a character in this game. And that is not said lightly because you don't have that type of experience in a game where the environment itself is a participant in your gameplay experience. It is amazing to me when I'm playing through and I'm just looking at the city and I'm constantly looking around like a tourist in this city and being in awe. I, I, I've already put 60 hours into the game. I haven't seen everything in the game yet. I haven't seen the entire night city. There are still massive swaths that I haven't seen. And this isn't just like, oh, here's a bunch of uh, uh, outdoor hills and valleys and, and trees and you know, kind of organic stuff that you can create within a map editor. Like this is methodically placed architecture. Like you, you have your corporate sectors, your downtowns, your ghettos, your, um, your beaches. I mean, there's just all kinds of different areas that are, if I had to compare it to like GTA five, you know, GTA five was really good with this too, but I feel like cyberpunk 2077 takes it to a whole new level. The, in terms of like the scope of the world being just massive, the decision component of the gameplay also is one of the things I absolutely love because it carries weight. Every decision you make has a major impact on the story direction and the sense of consequence is palpable all the time. And I don't want to spoil it, like, like giving you specific examples, but there are instances that I have discovered, like, like, you know, watching like the 45 minute gameplay demo that CD Projekt Red dropped on E3. I came across some of those scenarios and I decided to intentionally select something that was different than what was shown. 
And oh my goodness, like it, it very much changed up the dynamics of what was going on entirely. So it's, it's not like they try and like have a facade of choice and then regardless of what you choose, you still go down this linear path. It's very dynamic in that regard, which I, I think is, is just, it's amazing because it immerses me more into the game. The art direction itself <clears throat> is completely on point because you're dealing with a futuristic city and because it is a cyberpunk genre, which I'm a fan of, I've always been, you know, in addition to my ninja games, I've always loved cyberpunk. It's very rare that a cyberpunk title gets dropped. And so when one like this does, it's like, wow, I hope it's really good. And it's a relief for me personally that, that I have had as much enjoyment as I had with this title. But when you look at the art direction, like it's, it's really cool. It's like they take certain visual vibrancies from Back to the Future Part 2 when they're in the future, the, old, you know, the, the, the 2015 of uh, Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> But it's, you know, it's not stopping just at the um, the neon colors and the glows and stuff. There's also this, this sense of erosion that has taken place with the idea that, you know, when you have a civilization or a city that continues to expand and grow, there are, go there are going to be parts of that city that unfortunately fall by the wayside, that cannot keep up with progress, that have their own little stories to tell, create their own little subcultures. And the city just has this in spades. The gameplay itself is also to be commended because it successfully executes a combination of it being a first person shooter, an RPG, a racing game, and an adventure game. And when I think about another game that tried to do this, Destiny comes to mind because if you recall, Bungie was really trying to tout their title as like, oh, we're trying to embrace all these different things into one. But the problem was that, that the final result of that game, it was kind of like this muddied, watered, like it wasn't, it didn't really excel at any one thing in particular. It did everything kind of broad stroke-ish. And I think that Bungie had the fan following from its Halo days to make that game a success, but but having played Destiny 2, there's a lot about the game that does not hook me in. And maybe that's just a personal preference, I have no idea. But when it comes to a game like Cyberpunk, for me personally, they have actually found the secret sauce to successfully integrate a first-person shooter with an RPG, with a racing title, with an adventure title. That is huge because it becomes this completely idealized world that allows me to have such a unique gaming experience. And it's, it's like, I want to know what's around every corner of this world. And I, I, again, I have not, I have not discovered everything. There are, um, a number of personalities that you come across with that build over time. It's like, it's one of those games that rewards you the more you put into it. So like you, I'm, I've, I've seen people complain like on Reddit, for example, like, Oh, I beat the game in 20 hours. Well, yeah, because they mainlined the main quest and got through it as fast as possible, but they didn't actually take the time to explore and discover all that the game has to offer. So yeah, of course you're going to have a 20 hour experience if you want to try and blast through it. Um, 
the um, the soundtrack fits really nicely. There's a nice variety. You can tell they took a cue from Rockstar Games in the sense of, you know, GTA 5, when you're in your car, you can choose if you want to listen to hip hop versus rock versus classical or jazz, whatever it is. They do the same type of thing in this game. Um, man, there there is such a sense of ambition with this game and, and I'm already pleased with how CD Projekt Red has within just within the last two weeks they have had I think four different major patch updates through the game so you can tell that they are doing everything they can to try and get the game stabilized and, and free of bugs as they as they as they can um, and not only that, but they have already talked about how there's going to be a DLC drop, which is different than the patching and the bug fixes and stuff like that. Apparently, their first DLC drop is supposed to happen either um, next month or in February. So they're already getting their DLC packs on deck. It's not like we're going to have to wait six months to a year before the first DLC pack drops. And I think at the, the, the core of this, the core element of this game you have a gameplay loop that is very sophisticated that is very solid and I think as we move forward and they're able to to like I said get get through all of the things that quite honestly they should have been given another six months to iron out I think that they're going to be able to build upon an already huge world and make things even more interactive more engrossing um you know, when I when I think of various games I've played over the year, there are certain titles that have hooked me that I find myself thinking about all day long that I cannot wait to jump back into again. And there are certain games like Legends of Runeterra that have that or Ghost of Tsushima that has that. But Cyberpunk 2077, I'm here to tell you, um, this is the one where I am absolutely hooked. And like I said, I'm... If I am the Titanic that just crashed into the iceberg, I've only seen the tip of the iceberg for this game. There is a whole ton of game that I've yet to experience and see. Another aspect to this that I think is really interesting is the psychological component. And this is not really a spoiler at all, but the idea of cyberpunk's world as it relates to the humans is you start out with a human character that does not really have any kind of cyborg implants whatsoever. Yet as you go through the game, there are certain scenarios or perhaps you earn enough eddies to purchase um, various types of cyborg upgrades. But I find myself pausing when I'm at a fixer's lab deciding whether or not I want to move forward with an operation because of the fact that with every operation that I condone, I am sacrificing a part of who I am physically into more of a robotic cyborg entity. That to me, I, I find myself grinning as I'm stuck because once again, there is there is such a sense of choice and what the consequence is of any given choice in this game. That even something as, as you know, <laughs> deceptively simple as being somewhere where like, hey, you know, I like the ability to really jump, um, you know, instead of like jumping a height that a human can, I wanna be able to jump up onto a rooftop. Oh, but wait, that means that like, I'm gonna become basically an amputee. Like they're gonna have to chop off the the, um, 
lower half of my or, or upper half of my legs in order to have that kind of power. Well, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to sacrifice my body to have that ability. That's just one example of some of, of, of the consequences that are in there that as I, I think it was almost a byproduct of it. But I find myself being in conflict as to like, do I want to remain as human as I can possibly be with this particular life path that I've chosen? Or do I want to embrace this idea of technology and be like the, the, this, this character that's capable of all these amazing feats? But yet at the end of the day, if someone were to ask me, are you human? You know, what it then begs the question, what is it to be human? And, I, and again, the, these are, are, are very cerebral, psychological byproducts of the game that makes me gleeful because it's not like a simple shoot 'em up game. There are a lot of things in there that sneak up on you. And I, I mean, again, I have not beaten the game. There's a lot that I still have to experience. And there are things about it that need to be more fleshed out and that sort of thing. But it's amazing what CD Projekt Red has been able to accomplish with this. And it does make me very excited to see what's in store for 2021 because I'm going to be playing this game, I think, for a very long time. And once I'm done with it, it, it will be a game that I will forever be grateful towards in terms of my uh, gaming experience. So I will stop it right there because I could talk about this game for hours. I cannot wait to play I this do. game when it actually comes out, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, it's one of those things, too, where like I've, I've discussed it with Steve, and I was saying how, um, on the one hand, it's like there's there's so much hype around the game, and people want to play it. But if you are only playing it on like a base console system, it's almost like you're doing yourself a disservice because while you do get to experience what the story has and whatnot, it, it is clearly not optimized. And I, I just hate for people to have that be their first experience with Cyberpunk. I would almost recommend waiting like six months or something and then playing the game. Yeah, that's my plan. So, so um, I want to wait till the uh, till the next gen version of the game is actually out. I think you're wise. I think it's very wise of, of you to do that. Um, I do think... You know, looking at, at, at the number of titles that I have played over, over this past year, um, you know, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, Resident Evil 3, Legends of Runeterra, Streets of Rage 4, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Ghost of Tsushima, Animal Crossing New Horizons, Marvel's Avengers, Star Wars Squadrons, Cyberpunk 2077, Astro's Playroom, Spiritfarer. There have been, I would say, a, a healthy variety of titles that have come out despite COVID-19. Uh, would you agree to that, Bradley? Oh, absolutely. I, I think, and it was a weird year, right? We knew it. We knew it going into 2020, even outside of COVID. This was a transitional year for consoles, right? So anytime you get into that last year of a console generation, it's going to be a lighter year than any other year. Um, there were still some great games and there were some surprises you know, you mentioned Spiritfarer. That's one I've heard great things about and definitely want to spend some time with. You know, Hades that I mentioned, again, came out of nowhere. I think there's a number of games out there that uh, that made the year fantastic. So another good year for video games, I would agree. Yeah. Well, I want to thank Bradley for joining us again. Hopefully we can turn this into a tradition every year. Um, I think that we can 
stop it here and wrap up this particular episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, which is spelled J-O-Y. G-A-S-M and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you all next week. <laughs>